Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. I'm super excited to get to preach to you today. I'm really enjoying this series of Daniel, the book of Daniel that we're studying. It's entitled Surrounded by Lions. And if you're joining us online for the first time or if you're with us in person, in the room for the first time, uh, I hope you like this. I don't get to preach out of the Old Testament very often. I like the Old Testament, but I emphasize typically the New Testament because of the urgency of the gospel and the return of Jesus Christ. But I think Daniel fits where we are today. It's relevant to the time that we live in, and it answers the question, how do we live godly in a godless culture? And so today, the sermon is entitled, In the Fire, and maybe we were talking this morning with the men's group that we have in between services, and we were, remember those times when you went to Sunday school and somebody had the flannel graph board and all the pictures, and you'd place them up there in the Sunday school teacher, and I was just dumbfounded by the technology at that time. <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? Well, that Daniel lent itself to that kind of narrative, to that kind of storytelling, which I had the opportunity to do. And so I want you to remember with me, Daniel chapter 1, we, were, we looked at it and it was the influence of Babylon on Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the immersion experience that occurred to make them Babylonian, not just to understand Babylon but to make them Babylonian. But then in chapter 2 last week, we see Daniel interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream and how Daniel has an influence on Babylon and Daniel's value is raised in relationship to Nebuchadnezzar. And so this week, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 3. And while we're doing this, I want to remind you that I have two goals as I preach or teach with you every time I do this thing. And the first one is to be hopeful, and the second one is to be helpful. Hopeful in the sense that you need, I believe, you need hope today. Because if you look around very much... It looks pretty hopeless. But our hope is found in the Word of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And also helpful, I want to speak a word to you from the Word of God that is helpful, it is relevant, and that will make your life better and give you hope again. So I'm excited about what God is doing in our congregation. I will probably say this in in the message this morning. But since January, I feel like we've made a turn and we have some momentum going on. We saw three baptisms last week. We saw a young man dedicate his life to full-time Christian service. And I just praise God for what God is doing. And there was a time... Where our, our faith was challenged in leadership through this last few years, and I want to address that today. But if you have your Bibles, your tablets, your phones, go to Daniel chapter 3 and not to Facebook or Instagram this morning. All right, Daniel chapter 3. I want to go a little nerdy, a little theological with you this morning. I want you to realize something, that the book of Daniel was written in two languages. It's really, really peculiar. The first couple chapters is written in Hebrew, and then the next eight or nine chapters, I didn't count them, 
are in Aramaic, which is the language of Babylon. And then the last few, the last four chapters are written in Hebrews. And isn't that fascinating? And if you remember with me, Daniel was just a teenager when he was exiled from Israel into Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. He was between 13 and 15 years old. And last week, we saw him as a 17 or 18 or 19-year-old as he interprets the dream, and he's made basically second in the realm of all of Babylon, which was the largest known empire at that time as a teenager. And now, believe it or not, just in one chapter, now Daniel's in his mid-30s. For some of us, that's still pretty young. For some of us, for some others of us, that's pretty old. That's midlife. But mid to late 30s is where he is. So you kind of get the mentality of how this book is going. And remember, Daniel spans the entirety, the book of Daniel's, of Daniel's pretty much his life and the exile that Jeremiah prophesied, as we talked about last week. So we see the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has last week. Remember the statue, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and iron and clay, and how weak that statue was because the foundation was of a mix of iron and clay. And remember the rock that comes and it swings into the, the idol and breaks it down. And remember that's who? Jesus Christ, yes, that's the right, that's the right answer all the time. Jesus Christ, didn't end out, say Jesus. And it demolishes that statue and blows all those kingdoms away. And then that rock becomes a mountain. Remember? And if you look at Christianity today, the world's religion, largest world religion, it is... You know, just doing, it is growing by leaps and bounds in Africa and in China. And God is doing a great work around the world. I just want to encourage you. Now, we look around in our culture and say, where is God? God is still working through his people, just like God worked through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in Babylon. And, and, and this is a fascinating story. So I hope you'll stay with us as we go through the book of Daniel. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do next, though? After chapter 2, after, after Daniel says, hey, your kingdom is of gold, it's going to get wiped out, everything is temporary, what does Daniel do after he has this dream? Look in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Go figure. Come on now. Whose height was 60 cubits high and, and breadth was 6 cubits. 90 feet high nine feet wide, and he sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, this is the same place where the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 was placed. Same, same region. Okay, maybe not the exact same place, same region. But what's fascinating is, notice that this idol was not given an identity. It's not named. It wasn't the god of Molech. It wasn't the god... Chemosh, it wasn't the god Dagon, it had no identity. Isn't that fascinating? So they were just worshiping an idol. No identity. Think about it. Now, in, I'm going to go to my Bible. If you think about that, that's common in our culture today. 
You've got to understand something. That we live in a pluralistic society. And religion, religious pluralism is the name of the game today. And that says that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you sincerely believe in it. And you don't hurt, as long as it doesn't hurt others. And it doesn't matter what you worship just as long as you sincerely worship it. Now, we are a 180 degrees completely opposite of that. But realize that that same spirit that wants to mix everything and say everybody's, all good dogs are going to heaven, everybody's okay, that same spirit of Babylon is alive and it is well today. And it's ruling in our culture. Nothing new. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now this always has bothered me. In, in, in my flannel graph days in Sunday school, this always bothered me. Because only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not there. Who, who was absent in, the, in, in my flannel graph story? It was, come on, not Jesus, it was Daniel. Exactly right. Where was Daniel? Well, as I've grown older, I've thought, had a lot of time to think about this. I believe Nebuchadnezzar, after he had his dream and Daniel told the interpretation of the dream and he exalted Daniel in his kingdom, that King Nebuchadnezzar knew what he was going to do, and so he sent Daniel away. I think Daniel was on a, an, an ambassador tour for King Nebuchadnezzar somewhere else. Because Nebuchadnezzar didn't want Daniel in the way of what he was going to do. That's, that's Chris Gregg theology. You can take it or leave it, argue with it. You don't have to buy it. That's just, that's just how I'm, I'm thinking here. Because Daniel would have gone, I mean, he would have been right with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story. So, look at verse 4 through 6. It says, And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bag, pipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, that wasn't fair. That wasn't equal. That wasn't equal time and equal speech. That was not freedom of religion as we know it. No, it was either this or the furnace. Wasn't fair. And recognize this, that this was not a worship service. This was not a worship or this was a worship service in the sense of that when the music played, they bow down. Now, we just had a really good worship set. Thank you, Dan, and worship team. And then I preach, but you're not worshiping me. And we have an altar, but it is an altar to God, and we come to worship him. In this situation, in this worship service, there was a counterfeit king. They may have been worshiping Nebuchadnezzar or the God of their choice in this moment, and there was a counterfeit hell. There was going to be a fiery furnace. 
Now, I want you to understand this, and I preached this while I was in the book of Romans, but this is a continual theme throughout the Bible. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. God is a creator God. Satan can't create, he can only counterfeit. Now, if God made Mountain Dew, Satan would make Mountain Thunder. If God made Doritos, Satan made Dorados. If God made Chevrolet, Satan made... I didn't say that. Listen, the point is this. You may never be called to bow down to a literal golden idol, but you will be called to bow down to an ideology. There's a war going on right now of ideology, of who you're going to serve, and particularly in our culture today, this whole idea that there's no truth, and there's no way to know truth, so everybody's truth is relative. The Word of God is not relative. It is consistent. It is rock solid. It always has and always will be. Because the ideologies are the idols of our day. And we need to be careful what ideologies we fall prey to and we worship. Look at verse 8. Therefore, at, a, at that time, certain Chaldeans, these were astrologers, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. That would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now here are these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel had been lifted up to the highest offices in the cabinet, if you will, of King Nebuchadnezzar. They had access to the Oval Office, in other words. But there, were some, there was some jealousy amongst those people in the other high offices. And they were accusing them. Look at verse 11 and 12. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They're tattletelling here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. And they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What are they doing? They're jealous. They're... Ever been on a work site, better been in an in a office situation or in a company where that went on because someone got a promotion that others don't think they deserve? That's what's going on here. Look at verses 14 and 15. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my God or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the... Horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. What? I mean, was there a melody? I don't know, Dan. I don't know. I've always wondered. And every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar is saying... Hey, I'm in charge. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the king. I tell you what to do. And who's going to save you? And a lot of times, isn't it true in our lives? Who is the God that is going to save you from 
that satanic power, that power of the world that we live in. And the question for us as Christians is, is our God or is your God able to rescue you? And it may be in a marriage, it may be a health situation, it may be a trauma or a tragedy. It, it could be anything, financial bankruptcy or foreclosure. It could be anything that could cause us to ask that question. Is our God able to save, able to rescue? And when you think about it, this was the showdown of the age. In that time in Babylon, the king of the, the largest known empire in, of the world was having a showdown with three Jewish middle-aged men. And think about it. How, how could they have responded? There are three ways. First of all, they could have been confrontational. They could have been confrontational in the sense that they could have responded. As, First of all, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are not my king. I did not vote for you. I'm in exile. It could have been confrontational. The second way is that it could have been a compliant reaction. They could have said, oh, I didn't hear the music. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I'm going to bow down, play the music again. I'm just going to go along and I'm going to blend in. But then there was the third way. Remember, we, as we look through the book of Daniel, we are looking for that third way. And the third way was what? Courageously, respectfully, winsomely is the way they could have responded. And that is how they responded. And then we've got to ask the question, how am I responding to the culture and 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 in this age, how and what am I doing? And, and I want you to look and see the three different groups. First, there were the people of God, which is very, very small. Only three guys are shared in this passage that didn't bow down. And then there were the people of Babylon, if you're following along. The people of Babylon, which is automatically, hey, the king says it, I do it, I want to get, go along and get along, I want to advance in the kingdom. And if you know anybody that lives in a kingdom, they fear the king. You don't get on the wrong side of the king. If you get on the wrong side, you die. And then there was a third group of people. The people of God who lived Babylonian. And that is our temptation as Christians, is that we want to be in the world, not, or we want to be in the world, but not of the world, and we want to live for God. So how do we do that? How do we live for God, be involved and in a winsome way in the culture, to be an influence in an ungodly culture? Now, if you look in Daniel Chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, if I can read it. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in the matter. Now, this is pretty bold, isn't it? I'm saying, they're saying to the king 
of the largest empire in the known world at that time, hey, you can ask all you want, but I don't have to answer you. I mean, that, that statement alone would get you killed. But then they go on, verse 17, and I think this is so important. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. There was no question in their mind that their God could save. And he will deliver us out of your hand. But then they say, but if not, even if we are burned up to a crisp, crispy, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. They had already determined in their mind what they were going to do. Pastor Chris Hodges says it this way. Convictions are all about the choices that we make before we are challenged. They had already determined what they were going to do. There was no question. You determine your convictions ahead of time. Whether it's on a date, young people, whether it's as an adult, whether somebody is saying, blur this boundary, do this illegal act, compromise this set government restriction, whatever it is, you determine your convictions ahead of time. And then faith is our ability to act on those convictions when tested. They're already determined. It's cut and dry. Yes, I will do this. No, I won't do this. There's no compromise. So this might raise a question in your mind. Where did they learn this courageous conviction? Where did they learn this? Was it from the word of God? Was it from the tradition? Was it from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that they probably had memorized while they were growing up in Israel? Was it from there? From the stories that they knew? Because they could have easily responded another way. They could have. They could have, they could have uh, responded and said, hey, I, I just want to live. I'm just doing what I'm ordered. I just want to go along and get along. And, 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 and I'm just wondering if maybe some, someone here today or maybe listening online right now is in this situation where they're, they're at a point where they have to draw a line in the sand and say, no more. I'm not going to do that. And, and they're being challenged in their faith, in their workplace, or in their home, or in their life. We're going to blur some lines and just go along to get along. And you're saying, that is where I am. And at the same time, you're trying to bargain or negotiate with God. And make a deal. Have you ever had, have you ever said any of those prayers where, God, if you'll just get me out of this or get me out of that? I can remember as a Bible college student, God, if you could just come before my Greek final, if you could just save me. I mean, I had about an ulcer in that second year of Greek. I've got to get the degree, Lord, but I'm not going to make it. Will you just come before my final? Obviously, God answered my prayer, right? No. We're, we're talking about the God of the universe, sovereign God, 
who doesn't bargain, who doesn't negotiate, who doesn't make deals. He just wants to bless you. So why would God ask that of me to stay faithful to him even if he's not going to get me out of the furnace? Which obviously he didn't do for those guys. And obviously he probably won't do for you. So perhaps that furnace was there for a purpose that we're going to talk about. Look at verses 19 and 20. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed. Now, this is a demonic moment. Have you ever been around somebody that got so mad that their face changed expression? It is a scary experience. Here is the most powerful man in the world at that time that, that is a demonic changeover. Now, for some of you, you'll get this reference. It's like Jack Nicholson in The Shining when he said, Here's Johnny! You remember that moment? That psychotic moment? This is a totally demonic moment. And then he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. I mean, he cranked that baby up. Unbelievable. And, and in that moment, he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery burning furnace. Wow. And, and because the king's order was so urgent, it was so harsh... And the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, that's who I feel sorry for. The guys that were the king's men who were, hey guys, throw those guys into the furnace. Oh, I'm sorry, you died. You were burnt to their crisps. And so those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery burning furnace. And then what happens? Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And, the, and they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Obviously he saw three men. And then he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God's. Isn't that amazing. And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego three or servants of the most high God come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Now who was that fourth person in the fire? Some scholars believe it was Jesus. I remember I gave you that answer. I mean Jesus is always a safe answer. Others believe it was an angel of God. But God's presence was with them in the furnace. Isn't that amazing? And, and then, you know, Dan, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had the option to obey the king or not. If I would have been them, I would have said, no, hey, come on in with us. <laughs> you megalomaniac uh, counterfeit king. I would have been confrontational. But they didn't. They obeyed. And then the Satraps, prefects, and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads 
was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, and here is this, a dramatic shift, a crazy shift. And he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. Notice he says this. And yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks. And this has got to be bipolar. I mean, this is just psycho. Against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be, then look at the extreme, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That is crazy, isn't it? But that is how our God saves. That is how our God rescues. Amen? So i got three quick takeaways for you. If you're taking notes, follow along. Three takeaways. The first one is this. There will be a furnace in your life. The furnace is inevitable. For me, one of my furnaces in my life was the, the pandemic. I can remember the first few weeks of the pandemic. And I was just rushing around. We were adjusting and adapting and changing and trying to, trying to do church. Quite frankly, it was a little scary. About six or seven weeks in, I kept thinking, this will turn around. We'll, we'll be back to normal. It took almost three years. Like I said, we, we made the turn in January by the grace of God. God, God. God saves and he heals and delivers. But man, it was a long, long haul. He didn't take us out of the furnace. He left us there for a purpose. God never uses the furnace to punish your, you or f- for your sins. You've got to understand that. Now, the consequences of your choices, you, you receive. But that's not God. That's you. That's on you and Satan. God uses furnaces in your life. And remember, it's not because of your sin, because Jesus paid the price for your sins. Saved by grace through faith. God's not about punishment. Second takeaway is this. The furnace is a revealer and a refiner. When we're in the furnace, it reveals our character, our our weaknesses, our blind spots. But he's also a refiner because he'll take that away if we we will allow him to. And make us stronger and better. And, and, and fill us with the Spirit and deliver and rescue and heal. And the third, probably the most important takeaway that I want you to just know is that you are never, ever alone in the furnace. God is always there. You may not feel Him. You may not know it. You may not understand His purpose or His plan in that moment. But this is what's fascinating. No other religion, no other God does this. Because God chose to save them by being with them. He joined them in the furnace as he will join every one of us. He had all kinds of ways to rescue them. But he chose to place his presence with them. That's what's so amazing about the gospel 
story is that Jesus was born as a baby and they called him Emmanuel, which is God with us. He chose to place his presence in human form to be a witness to us, to tell the story of the gospel, that he might die for us and pay the price for our sin. How glorious is that? No other God does that. No counterfeit king can ever do what our God does. Will you please stand as I pray this morning? Father God, we are so grateful for the work that you do and that you are a God that saves, you're a God that heals, that you're a God that delivers. And Father, just now we're reminded that you don't compromise who you are. You've always been and always will be. You are the creator. You are sovereign. Your truth is the only truth. And it came through your son, Jesus Christ. The only way to have a relationship with you is through him, by confessing him as Lord and Savior of our lives. To receive that grace that saves and heals and delivers. To, by being baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that your spirit would convict, that your spirit would inspire, that your spirit would draw people unto you. Father, we just give you all the praise and all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Will you come this morning?